0: podcast is brought to you by Pella windows and the doors it's winter it's cold that's where you need your windows to step their game up and keep your energy efficiency on point where you're staying warm keeping the heat high and the energy bills low and your windows are vital in this fight Pella's got the top of the line windows to do just that you can holler at them your local Pella Omaha and Lincoln expert, or you can go online, PellaOmaha.com. That's PellaOmaha.com. And the Nick Bob podcast is powered by Runza. And one of the great things about it being winter is the tradition unlike any other, and that is temperature Tuesdays. It is back. It's that time of the year. Every single Tuesday in January and February, The 6 a.m. temperature at the coldest Runza location is the price you'll pay for an original Runza sandwich when you buy a medium fry and medium drink. Oh, baby! Temperature Tuesdays are back. Take advantage of it. Runza makes it all better. All right, welcome back into the podcast. We got a good one cooked up for you here today. I'm recording this. It is uh, Monday night, February 7th, almost 8 o'clock p.m. Central Standard Time. I got a bunch of stuff that I want to get into. We're going to get into Nebraska basketball's embarrassing blowout loss to Northwestern. Got some thoughts on Creighton hoops. Got some very interesting Trev Alberts quotes with regards to Nebraska basketball's attendance numbers that came out with a story from Eric Olson. Uh, Got my biggest takeaway from Nebraska football signing day last week and some other NIL stuff I want to get into and... With uh, gosh, we're almost like five weeks away, a little under five weeks away from Selection Sunday. So I'm going to give you my what I like and what concerns me about the top ten teams in college basketball. That's all coming up on today's pod. Uh, but I got—I want to start with with Nebraska basketball. So. Nebraska got absolutely embarrassed by Northwestern on their home floor on Saturday afternoon. Uh, Northwestern was up 35 with five minutes left when Chris Collins called off the dogs. 35. What's crazy is this was arguably Nebraska's best chance at getting a Big Ten win. And they got blasted. They got blown out. They got run off their home floor. And you know, I'm sitting there. I was in Mackey Arena in West Lafayette for getting ready to call Michigan and Purdue. And I was, I, I got on my phone and I was checking the score. And I was like, "Holy crap!" And I, I just couldn't believe. It. I was, I was following it. I was like, "Wow, they're getting, they're getting blown out. They're getting blown out. What? Oh my gosh!" And then I don't know why I did, but I, I just had to. The first thing I did when, when I, when I got to my house on Sunday, or I got, I got home late Saturday night. So on Sunday morning. I just had to watch it. I immediately – first thing I did on Sunday morning was I got a cup of coffee, I downloaded the game, and I watched the, the Nebraska-Northwestern game. And, man, it was ever bit as bad as the score suggested it would be. Nebraska's defensive effort and fight and intensity and IQ and toughness was just awful. I don't want to – I get t- – I don't, I don't want to hear about offense. Like, I, I heard some – and and all you're doing is you know if you're C.J. Wilcher you're answering the questions. But I heard people talk about some guys breaking away from the play and not. Ran. This game was about they got 87 hung on them by Northwestern and it could have been a hundred. This wasn't about not not executing a set play on offense because so often we do that. Everybody goes to offense like this team. This team is this team's issues defensively with fight and all that stuff. That that's where a lot of the stuff jumps out at me. But man the, the weird thing was that this game though felt different. This blowout felt different to me. Because at least you know it's one thing it's one thing to get blown out by Auburn and Purdue where, you know, both top 10 teams that could both be in the final four. Auburn and Purdue each have a lottery pick on their roster. They're uber talented. You know, Purdue's loaded inside with two great post players, which is a problem for Nebraska. Those blowouts kind of make sense, right? Like you go, well, Juice, I mean, what are you going to do with seven four Zach Eadie, and look at Jabari Smith, and blah, blah, blah. Hell, even the Michigan blowout in in Lincoln in December. You know, it's like okay, Michigan's got Hunter Dickinson, he's 7 foot 1, he's an all-American caliber player. You, Michigan's got multiple McDonald's All-Americans. You can wrap your mind you you can begin to wrap your mind around how that game could get away from you, you know? But Northwestern? They don't have five stars. They don't have a lottery pick on their roster. They don't have elite 7 foot big men on their roster. And and yet Northwestern absolutely crushed Nebraska. Now, what's interesting, don't get me wrong. I did think as I watched the game that in my opinion, Northwestern's talent level, player one through player eight, is probably superior to Nebraska. I shouldn't even say probably it is. That's what's you watch that game, and outside of Bryce McGowan's, you kind of go, what what? Just go to guy to guy you You' kind of like I'd take Pete Nance I'd take, take t- you just go right down the line, I'd take boo Booey. And so that that's which obviously that is a problem because elite recruiting talent was supposed to be, you know, on this team. But this blowout was largely a was largely about Nebraska just lacking any fight, lacking any pride, any competitiveness. And when you combine that with a clear lack of IQ in terms of executing whatever defensive plan they had, that's how you get beat by 30. I just, you watch the game, I started taking notes and I stopped, but it was, I just, Nebraska didn't fight through screens, they, they would just, they'd they get hit by a screen, they'd either die and melt on the screen, or they'd Velcro the screen. They, they didn't sprint back in transition, they didn't talk and communicate, both in transition and in the half court, they didn't guard the dribble, they couldn't keep Boo Booey or whoever out of the lane, and then there were numerous times it didn't appear like they were on the same page at all with their ball screen defense. I mean, Boo Booey was hot, and Nebraska was letting him just walk into threes with high ball screens. You know, Verge, whoever, just die into the pick, and then, you know, the hedge man, lat man, or whatever, be like seven feet off in the lane. It's like, guys, he's hit five let threes. Let's, let's get threes. Let's, let's either fight through the screen... or, or like, get up and hedge it, or something. It was maddening. Northwestern got whatever they wanted on offense, whatever they wanted. It honestly felt like Northwestern got a wide-open great shot on basically every single possession. Northwestern scored 87 points, and, again, they called off the dogs with about five minutes left. I I don't think they scored for the final four minutes, whatever it was. And you watch it and seeing the quality of shot that Northwestern got throughout the course of, of the game, it could have been over 100 points. And again, this wasn't Purdue with Jaden Ivey and Zach Eady and Travion Williams, and this wasn't Auburn with Jabari Smith and Wendell Green and Walker Kessler. This was Boo Booey and Northwestern. Now, hopefully for everyone's sake, this was just kind of a stinker and not a sign of things to come for the final month of the season because I talked about this last week on the pod. One of my concerns was just the whole notion and the whole idea of how many times can you get punched in the gut, knocked to the ground, and get back up and continue to fight. And each game that passes that Nebraska doesn't win, the haven't won a conference game, we could go over in the in Big Ten conference play. Monkey on your back gets bigger and bigger and bigger. So we'll see what this Minnesota game looks like on on Wednesday in Lincoln. It's at you know they're at home. Another winnable game, winnable in air quotes. I mean, I thought I I thought that about Northwestern and look what happened. So who the hell knows? I'm just so I'm it's just I'm just so disappointed at times watching it all. You know, as just a guy that loves basketball, it's just you. Know, certainly, some of the coaching things and lack of execution certainly head scratching. But I, I always first come at it like a former player. I always, I I, I try to wear have a lot of different lenses at which I'm viewing things. You got to think about things from a coaching perspective at times. You got to think about also things from a player's perspective, and naturally, that's always my first perspective on things. And as a former player, as a former college basketball player, a guy who laced him up and played, it's the no fight, no pride, no competitiveness thing that just – that always isn't going to sit well when you watch it. Like, if you lose, fine, you lose. But at least go down fighting and competing. So I sure hope we see a better effort than than that because, man, that was, that was maybe the low point of the season so far. Man, I mean, I was shocking. Sticking with Nebraska basketball, Eric Olson of the Associated Press, he wrote a story about the Nebraska basketball attendance this year, and it had some, some interesting quotes from Trev Alberts and some interesting numbers in them as well. A couple of things to, to chew on numbers-wise. So the average number of used tickets per game, not, not announced attendances, like actual scanned tickets butts in the seats, right? Because those are always two different numbers, right? Like you'll announce – an attendance number that's 10,000 less than that or whatever. But the average number of used tickets per game for Nebraska basketball this season is 7,160. So about at 7,000. That is down, that number is down 22% from the 2019-2020 season because obviously there was no fans last year, so you have to go back two years. And I mean a twenty-two point or twenty-two percent decrease is concerning. And again, keep in mind with that seven thousand number is is Pinnacle Bank Arena. The capacity is about fifteen thousand. So I mean that's half full. That's half full. So that that dip is concerning. Other numbers, the top scan ticket game so far this year was the Creighton game. Not surprising, it was twelve thousand four hundred fifty. The low was Wisconsin, four thousand five hundred, but that was a that game was on a at four p.m. on a Thursday. It was rescheduled, whatever. But the other lows were Indiana with with fifty seven hundred and Illinois with about fifty five hundred. I mean, that's that's Illinois, Indiana. Those are those are two big brands. I, Illinois is a, a a team that could make a deep run in the NCAA tournament. So, I mean, all those numbers are, are very interesting and a little concerning. And, again, the, the pandemic and COVID still looming impacts a lot of people's decisions on, you know, whether they're going to go to a game or do whatever, right? The Bot Podcast is powered by Runza and the cold winter months. It's officially here. And as a warm weather lover myself, the cold can kind of bum me out. But the one thing that always puts a huge smile on my face when it gets cold Temperature Tuesdays at Runza. Yes, it's that time of the year. Temperature Tuesdays are back at Runza, where every Tuesday in January and February, the 6 a.m. temperature at the coldest Runza location is the price you'll pay for an original Runza sandwich when you buy a medium fry and medium drink. Think about it. An original Runza sandwich might be 10 cents, a dime, might be a nickel, might be a quarter. Heck, might even be one penny. Just one penny so make sure you take advantage of this incredible deal every single tuesday at runza where the temp at 6 a.m in runza land is the price you pay for an original runza sandwich and you buy a medium fry and a medium drink it's back baby temperature tuesdays runza makes it all better trev alberts was quoted in this story and he he first admitted that here's 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 a few quotes on trev being asked about the attendance numbers uh He says, but it certainly is the play on the court that is the overriding factor in terms of fan interest and attendance. That's pretty obvious, I think. Goes on to say, you don't have to win every game. You really don't. But you better have a team that competes every night. You better have a team that's fundamentally sound. You have to have a team that plays together that will never quit, does things the right way, and represents the values and ideals of Nebraska and our alumni. There have been stretches of this season where our play hasn't necessarily reflected those very important cultural ideals that Nebraskans hold near and dear. You can see the reaction of our fan base to our programs that exemplify those things and those that don't and there's a pretty stark contrast in terms of fan and donor interest. Those are certainly s- some juicy quotes, and th- the types of quotes that are aren't necessarily glowing of Hoiberg and the product, right? Like, but at this point, this this season is it is what it is, right? I mean, the team is 6-17 and 17 overall. They're 0-12 in the Big Ten. They, have, they don't have a win over a power conference team this year. They haven't won a game since December 22nd. And again, Hoyberg's record in the Big Ten, what is it, 5-46 and 46 or whatever it is now? And so Trev Albert's quotes kind of reflect all of that. And that's the one thing that I've admired about Trev since he's taken over as athletic director is he's not going to BS you. He's going to be real. He's going to be honest with you. And when I say you, I'm talking about when he's talking to the media he he's he is going to he's going to keep it real and he did with kind of answering questions about those attendance numbers and to, and to circle back to those numbers real quick some of those attendance numbers i have told people this before as someone that's you know a national college basketball analyst and you know i spend i this is my 8th year with fox and you know i've been immersed in college basketball for you know, almost 20 years now, Going, you know, as a player, as a coach, as a broadcaster, like, w- sure, th- the difference that Nebraska basketball has from some of those, uh, from some other floundering power conference teams that don't necessarily have the history and tradition and aren't winning right now or whatever, is the home games at Pinnacle Bank Arena over the last handful of years have con- had been pretty good. Like, you go to a DePaul home game, man, that's depressing. There's nobody there. Nobody there. And so the one thing, yes, Nebraska lacks a lot of history and tradition. We all know they don't have an NCAA tournament win, all those things. But the one thing that was that was still kind of like the, a differentiator from, from some of those other f- struggling schools was like, hey, PBA usually is, is pretty rocking. There's a lot of people in there. And you look at those attendance numbers, and haven't been in their arena a handful of times. It certainly it's been different this year. It's been a little down, and so Nebraska has to be careful that doesn't slip. And according to the numbers, and according to that story, it's slipping a little bit. And you know, you think about it with you know, t- scan tickets and attendance and butts and seats all going down. And, and Trev gave his reasoning why, and which I think he's it's spot on. But if I have to expand on it, I mean, I think. You know, if you really try to put yourself in a in a Husker basketball fan's frame of mind. there probably there isn't a redeeming quality to this team in this situation right now. You know, like they aren't winning. The effort isn't great. And maybe most importantly, I don't get the sense that fans feel like this is the beginning of building something special, which is something you always want to be a part of as a fan. You want to be there. You I was there from the beginning, right? I was there when they were when if it all got started. Fans can can endure and deal with some tough times if they feel like they're seeing the foundation being laid. And if they feel like there is something you know, there's something to be said early on with a team and a program at its at its rising point, right? I think it's pretty clear that the fans, at least right now, don't feel like that. It, in some ways, this team feels no closer, and you could argue further away in year three than they were in the last two years under Fred Hoiberg. And because of all the roster turnover, and likely roster turnover is going to be coming again this offseason. I I don't I, I wonder if the fans don't feel all that attached to any player or core group of players. And that's something. Like, a part of the fun of being a fan is the attachment to a player or a core group of players and watching them grow and watching them... Sometimes it's fun to watch them, you know, watch them struggle and then figure it out and then start winning. Nebraska's situation doesn't... Have that right now. Like, I don't even know what player on this team the fans feel like a big connection with. So from a fan's perspective, what are you really latching on to right now? You know? Like, what drives, what, what drives you to get a ticket and go to the game right now? And you know, I think all those things are... Are are causing a decrease in in attendance, and obviously are are concerning. And I you know I found those Trev Alberts quotes interesting, and, and the attendance numbers interesting. Let me shift to Creighton real quick uh, before I transition It's to some football stuff. Um, you know I, I, on the pod last week I talked about the you know the in a lot of ways the Xavier game from a little over a week ago, the Xavier game at home in Omaha was kind of a microcosm of this team in this season, right? Like, first half looked really good. They were up 17. Second half, they didn't score for 11 minutes, and they ended up losing the game by 10. So they went from up 17 to losing the game by 10. Kind of a microcosm of this entire season. And then last week was kind of the same way. East Coast road trip, two tough teams. The two-game stretch was kind of a microcosm of this team and, and this season. Creighton at Yukon fought their tails off and and won. Great road win versus a tough Yukon team, who's an NCAA tournament team that's that I got a lot of respect for and thinks pretty damn good. Then they followed up by going to Seton Hall and and they get they get I think they have their lowest scoring half of the of the season. They end up losing by 20. They were pretty much down by 20 right away, and they were a little clunky. That's kind of like how it's been this like this team has it in them but like I've like we've kind of talked about throughout the entire year their margin for error is slim and when it slips it can really slip but when it's right it can it can look pretty good but despite all of that you know Greg McDermott has done such a good job with this team that they're in the NCAA tournament conversation they are squarely on the bubble And for as much as we we talked about resume, like, it's interesting. For as much as we talk about resume-boosting wins when discussing bubble teams, we probably don't lend enough credence to winning the games you're supposed to win. Right? Like, we only talk about, like, that's a big opportunity. Well, like, the other games, so beating the teams you're supposed to beat, that's like, ah, whatever. We probably don't lend enough talk and credence to winning the games you're quote-unquote supposed to win, right? And that's where Creighton kind of finds themselves now for this four-game stretch. Creighton's next four games are all against the bottom three teams in the Big East standings. And we've talked about this, but it bears repeating. they got Butler at home, Georgetown, Georgetown at home, and then DePaul. We talked about this last week, but i got to repeat it since they're here. And I'm certainly not suggesting those games are gimme layups against roast beef state and mayonnaise tech, but those are four games that Creighton will probably be favored in. And the reality is if Creighton wins these next four games, they're going to be sitting at nine and five in the big East. And that would put Creighton in a great position to finish, you know, at 500 or better in big East conference play. And in my opinion, I would think that puts Creighton in a pretty good position to get an at large bid. Now, Certainly, there are a ton of factors that go into that, and we have a lot of a basketball to be played between now and Selection Sunday. But if Creighton finishes the regular season at eighteen and twelve or nineteen and eleven, and they're ten and nine or eleven and eight in the Big East, they should have a pretty healthy resume to get a bid. So this four game stretch, well, it doesn't feature Nova and Providence and and those top teams. It's a pretty. It's a pretty dang important stretch for Creighton just to rack up wins. Pretty important stretch. Let's shift to some football stuff. So, you, college football, you know, national signing day was last week, and obviously it used to be a much bigger deal. But now, with the early signing period in December, that February signing day is is much less crazy. But it was it was a it was a fairly quiet day for Nebraska. But it was kind of a quiet day across all of, all of college football. But I thought there was one signing for Nebraska that stood out to me. And to me, it was the flipping of the TCU commit, a Jay Allen, to Nebraska that's, that that really jumped out at me for signing days. A running back out of Louisiana, three-star recruit, Brian Applewhite, the new running backs coach who came from TCU, obviously had uh, Allen in the fold, got him to flip and come with him to Nebraska. And listen, here's... Here's why I highlight Allen for signing day, the running back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, his film looks good, yada, 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 blah, 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 right? I mean, uh, highlight tapes are highlight tapes. A lot of guys look good. Like, you turn on his film, he looks pretty good, right? It's a highlight tape for crying out loud. Better look pretty good. But all I know, here's, here's why I'm bringing him up. All I know is that position, the running back spot, has been a huge problem And the lack of finding an elite guy at that spot since Scott Frost has taken over is maddening. And of all the things that Nebraska has lacked through the first four years of Frost, a difference maker at running back is right near the top for me. And here's the thing. I like Ryan Held. I really did. Seemed like a good guy. But whether it was him or whoever... I just haven't, I haven't ever really felt like Nebraska's talent evaluation at running back or development or whatever has been very good. Mainly, kind of just the the talent of the dudes. Like outside of Maurice Washington situationally as a home run hitter, I haven't really loved any of these running backs from from Ramir Johnson. He's okay. Marquis Step, yeah. Greg Bell, yeah. Ronald Tompkins, eh. Yeah. Savion Morrison, yeah. I was never as high on Dedrick Mills as other people were. Gabe Irvin looks okay to me, but he certainly doesn't look like a game changer to me. Jaquez Yant, yeah, he had a couple of nice plays against Northwestern, but overall I think you saw as the season wore on, he's got a long ways to go. So I guess what I'm saying is I'm excited to get a new talent evaluator for the running back spot at Nebraska and see what that spot looks like. Maybe maybe Allen maybe a Jay Allen is is good next year maybe not. I just kind of felt like the Nebraska Nebraska's talent evaluating and coaching of the running back spot had lost its benefit of the doubt in my mind. But with the the new running back coach in apple white and a set of new eyes evaluating the, the the running backs across the country and just a new way of doing things and all that with mickey joseph and whipple and donovan rayola and all that stuff i'm just excited to see what happens with that spot so naturally i'm excited about this running back that that's my signing day big takeaway You know, speaking of signing day, you have the Jimbo Fisher thing, you know, him taking issue with the this idea that there's a big you know, $5 million or $10 million fund for NIL that people are handing out NIL money and all that stuff. And, you know, I, I, I've I've given my thoughts on NIL, you know, name, image, and likeness for recruits and all that stuff of what's going on, especially as it, it has coincided with the transfer portal, like – I am pro NIL. But I'm also pro having some handle on this thing of some rules and regulations with all this. A sport without rules and regulations in how you can acquire players and build out your roster is ultimately in the long run a problem. Every other major sport has rules and regulations in place with acquiring players and building your roster, except college football and college basketball right now. Basically, there is zero salary cap. And with the transfer portal, it's kind of free agency every year. And, you know, I've said this before and I'll say it again. If you're college football, don't ever get too arrogant in thinking that you'll always be popular and people will always love your sport and always watch 50, 60 years ago, the most popular sports in America were baseball, boxing, and even arguably horse racing. Fast forward to 2022, those three sports are either niche or pseudo-dead. And I just look at, you know, the playoff structure, conference realignment, transfer portal, you know, how these rosters are getting built out with implementing nil et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It can chip away at at all of a sudden the sport changes a little bit. And I just, I feel like I can be for certain things, but also want to let out and be concerned for the overall sport as a whole. and if you if you look at it ratings have continued to go down for the college football playoff i mean just every year down 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 with conference realignment and even now texas and oklahoma going to the sec and and like you you take away natural rivalries and chip away too much at conferences i don't know be careful you continue to make it an increasingly southern dominated sport in particular a sport that basically is owned by a few teams yeah, i don't know be careful you you ha- you make it a sport where you you kind of basically have zero rules and regulations in place with with zero uniformity in how each team can acquire players and build a roster yeah, i don't know i just get concerned with all that stuff and listen this the same can be said for everything I'm talking about for college basketball. But at least, you know, the redeeming quality of college basketball is its postseason structure. The NCAA tournament is still great and loved. College football's postseason is just awful, in my opinion. It's awful. But to circle back to the original point, I guess I just I I struggle to see the argument for how it's a good thing for college football to have no rules and no regulations with how you build out your roster and acquire players. Players can leave and go anywhere they want. Players can then make whatever they want when they're there. And all, like I, I struggle to see how that's that's good for the big picture of college sports. Like, and listen, you you can be one of those people that is listening to this and says, "Y'all, oh God, boohoo." Quit being stuck in the past. Quit crying. It is what it is. You better get used to it. Quit quiner, crying about it. Like okay, if you want to be that guy, that's fine. Like technically, you're right, but I think you're misguided. Because w- when I talk about this, like me taking time out on the podcast to, to hammer this home, this point home again, when I talk about this, I guess if it comes off like I'm complaining, I'm I'm. My complaints about this, they aren't from they're not from like a selfish place of how I personally feel. It's everything I'm saying is stemming from I'm arguing from the sports perspective, and what's best for the overall long term health of that sport. That's where I think people get get it confused. I don't care what Casey Thompson gets with nil. I have no problem with. Him getting paid and athletes getting paid. Zero problem with it. I have zero problem with college athletes getting paid. Zero issues. What I do take issue with and have a problem with is trying to maintain some competitive balance and equity in the sports of, again, how these rosters are getting built and how these teams are getting built. Like, I love how people think, like, just simply say, j- like, just simply saying, hey, man, I'm cool with college athletes getting paid. Okay, that's not really even an opinion, really. Like, okay, yeah, and, dot, 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 like, there is there another part to that? It's easy to shout out, like, the, thi- like, it's easy to shout out the, hey, just do this. Well, okay, well, then how are we going to work make that work within the framework of everything? Like, to me, just being one of those people, like, eh, I, I, I love it these guys are getting paid. I'm cool with it. Like, okay, right? Uh, me too. Do you have any anything more to say other than that? Or is just like that's where – that's it? Because, like, that that's such a narrow-minded way of looking at this whole thing. And so I just think, like – when I say, like – I feel like when people think – Oh, you're one of those guys that thinks you know this stuff is ruining the sport. Like I don't think it's necessarily ruining the sport. I think it's it. The sport can flourish just fine with nil. But I think there's got to be some some parameters and guidelines and rules and regulations and some uniformity around it. You know, there's a reason that every a lot of sports outside of Major League Baseball they have a salary cap. But even Major League Baseball, you know, they have contracts and different things like like there's, contracts and rules and regulations exist for a reason. Especially when you're trying to have a sport where there's where you're you're overall you're trying to maintain some competitive balance with this thing. So again, just being one of those guys that simply is like, hey man, I'm cool. I love it, man. Nil, this is great. Getting money, these guys getting paid. Like, okay, like that's not a very deep opinion. That's a baby pool opinion. Like, let's let's get a little deeper here. Okay, cool. Okay, how do we make that all work within the framework of all of college sports? And then maintain competitive balance. Oh, by the way, I have even mentioned if you still want to have your softball team and your baseball team and your volleyball team and and all like you still want to have all the, those sports work. Like, like let's get a little bit. Di- okay, that that's that's page one of this thing. Let's pay. Let's let's peel it off a little bit because that's the, like I think the vast majority of people are cool cool with nil and people getting paid. Like, yeah. What? Let me guess. You like puppies too. Whoa! Wow, you like ice cream? Wow, you are real, or you got a lot of, lot of deep opinions. We we need to start looking at how we combine the world of NIL with the overall competitive balance and equity and structure of the overall sport. Like it's, we, it's got to happen. That's my big point. That's my big point. Okay, let me wrap this up with a little college basketball because we are – I mean, it's crazy. I think we're almost – I mean, five weeks from today, you're going to be holding a bracket in your hand, getting ready to, like, fill it out, and you got your play-in games coming up. Like, that's crazy, right? I'm going to go through the top ten teams in the country, and these are – this is my top ten teams in the country. I don't have an order. I I maybe was lazy and not doing an order because – but for me, to be honest with you, I think on any given night – any of these 10 teams could potentially be the best team. Like, I really don't think you have a great – there isn't one team that's just head and shoulders better than everybody else. I mean, look at, like, Kansas got their ass kicked by Kentucky by 30, and then they turn around and they beat Baylor by 30. Like, you know, you, you just have these wild swings. So, to me, the difference between the number one team, perceived number one team, and team 7, 8, 9, like, pretty slim. For me here, the the 10 best teams in the country, in my opinion, are, and again, no order, are Duke, Gonzaga, Auburn, Kentucky, Arizona, Purdue, Kansas, Villanova, Baylor, and UCLA. You have your teams like Houston and Texas Tech and Illinois hovering. You're kind of right behind those 10. But to me, the 10 I named, those are the 10 best. Again, UCLA, Baylor, Villanova, Kansas, Purdue, Arizona, Kentucky, Auburn, Gonzaga, and Duke. Those are... Those are the 10 best teams. So let me kind of rapid fire go through each team, and I'll give you what I like and then what concerns me about it. We're going we're to hammer through these. Let's start with Auburn. What I like, raw talent. You know, sometimes we lose sight of that aspect of it. Like, do you have the top-end raw talent to win the whole damn thing? Because we can get – Lost in the, oh, I love the way this team defends side ball screens and look at their points per possessions against teams outside of quadrant two and all this stuff. Like, sometimes, ultimately, when we get to the Final Four and we get to the National Championship, you know who's involved in those games? Fucking studs are. Big-time players are usually playing in those games. Last year, it was Jalen Suggs. It it, it It was Davian Mitchell. It was, like, it was studs. Corey Kisper, Drew Timmy, like studs. Auburn's got studs. Jabari Smith, Wendell Green, Walker Kessler. They are loaded. You watch them play, they pop, they, they, they pass the eye test. The other thing I like about them is they're winning. They're 22 and they're, they're two and one, and their only loss is to Yukon in double overtime on a neutral floor in November. It's pretty good. My concern with them is probably just they're their discipline and their youth, like they can be a little erratic at times, which can get you beat when you play a good team in the NSA tournament. They're, they're, they're young. They're in the 300s in, in experience, according to Ken Palm. Like They're led by a freshman and a sophomore, which usually isn't the recipe for, for success in, in the NSA tournament now. Gonzaga, what do I like? Well, I like their front line. It's ridiculous how good their front court is. Drew Timmy and Chet Holmgren are absolutely incredible. For as much as I like Travion Williams and Zach Eady, man, I don't know if they're... uh, Drew Timmy and and Chet Holmgren, big-time front line. Big-time front line. My concern would be top-end guard play. Like, how good really are... Gonzaga's guards. I like Nemhard. He's a good player. But think about last year. Nemhard was on their team last year, but he was like their fourth option at guard behind Jalen Suggs, Joel Aie, and Corey Kispert. And now he's got to be the guy. So I'd say that's a little concerning. Duke. What I like is Paolo Bencaro is such a tough matchup. How many teams have an answer for a 6'10 guy that can come off ball screens, read the pick and roll, he can shoot, he can put it on the deck? Like, not too many teams have anybody that can guard that. And then I just, their overall athleticism is, like, they pop off the screen when you watch just their, when you watch them play with how athletic they are. Trevor Keels and Window Moore and, uh, and Jeremy Roach, and Williams, like they're athletic players, really athletic players, and I think a lot of that manifests itself in the defensive end of the floor. My concern with them is youth. While they're not super young, they're 336 in the country in experience, another team that's that's young. Villanova, What what I like is their experience. Justin Moore, Colin Gillespie – Caleb Daniels. Like they're they're an experienced group. And then you gotta love their guards. I mean, they're they're basically all guards, but like their guard play usually wins in the NSA tournament. And then they're they're a hard team to play against. They they play small ball where they stretch you out five different directions, and everybody can post up. They'll post up Gillespie. They'll post up, obviously, Dixon. They'll post up Jermaine Samuels. They'll post up Justin Moore. And a lot of people, there are a lot of guards and a lot, not everybody's comfortable defending in the post. They're a unique team. They play slow. They're going to chew the shot clock. They're a unique team to play against. The Nick Bob Podcast is brought to you by my good friends at White Castle Roofing. And I've owned two homes in my life, one in Omaha and now one in Lincoln. And both times, when I had some damage to my roof, White Castle roofing was who I trusted with the job. I had some hail damage to my roof in Omaha. White Castle took care of that and did a great job. And then I had a leak with my skylight in Lincoln. My guy Ben from White Castle was able to come over take a look at things, get the pieces needed to fix it, communicated every step, and boom, the crew was over and knocked it out quickly. Done and done. The crew was amazing, man. They're fast. They're efficient. They were awesome. Cleanup was a top priority. And most importantly, they did a fantastic job. You can't trust just anyone with your roof. And trust me, you can trust White Castle Roofing. Check them out. Online, WhiteCastleRoofing.com. That's WhiteCastleRoofing.com. White Castle Roofing, built with trust, proven by time. My concern for them is they're, they're, a, they're size inside. They're a small team. They're a really small team. And then they're maybe a little too reliant on the three. I mean, they take a lot of threes. And if they're going in, great. If they're not, you're in trouble. Kansas. What I like about them is, first of all, their coach. I think they got the best coach in the country. I know I'm probably biased, but I think you give me any coach in the country to start a team with, I'll take Bill Self. You guys can have second pick. I'll take Bill Self. So I think they got the – I love their coach. And then their wings are just awesome, especially Ochai Abaji. obviously. I mean, he's in your – if you're making a player of the year list right now, he's got to be top three. But then Christian Brown's a hell of a player too. But those two wings are great players, especially Abaji. My concern is kind of twofold. Like that inside spot, the five, David McCormick is just really inconsistent. And I think, you know, he came in, billed as a McDonald's All-American when he first arrived in Lawrence, and he just kind of never lived up to that. And that's kind of created maybe an unrealistic expectation for what he is and who he is. He's just not that kind of a dude. Now, he can have flashes, and he's still a productive player, but he's not, he's, he's not as good as Drew Timmy, and he's not as good as Travion Williams and those guys. He's just not. Mitch Lightfoot, their backup, he's solid, but he's not great. And then the other concern, in a weird way, is their point guard spot. Like, Dewan Harris is a, he's a good player. He's tough. He's solid. He does a little bit of everything, but he's, he's not a great shooter. He's not a great scorer. He's certainly not an elite player. And then they got Remy Martin, the Arizona State transfer, who's been banged up. He's been hurt. And then he's a little wild and erratic for Bill Self's liking. His shot selection wanes. His defensive focus is he gambles a lot. So figuring out and getting consistency out of that point guard spot on a variety of levels is something that concerns me. Arizona. Man, I like this team a lot. I mean, man, I like it. Seeing them live in person at Illinois in December, I was blown away. I loved them on film, and I was blown away in person. What I like about them is their, their depth and their skill. They are a skilled team. They got a rim protector in Coloco. Tubelis and Matherin are really good. I mean, you, Pella Larson uh, coming off the bench. They, they, got, tr- they got older, experienced transfers coming off the bench. Like, And they're all skilled. They pass it. They shoot it. Their assist numbers are outstanding. Terry is the ultimate glue guy for them. Like that at teams. Depth and skill, really good. My concern would maybe be their point guard spot. I like Kirk Krisha. Like in he's one of those guys, like he's he's a guy that'll win you a game and lose you a game. And I just wonder in a big spot in the NCAA tournament, like what you're going to get from Kirk Krisha. He's kind of like that irrational confidence guy, like that J.R. Smith type dude that will take shots you go, whoa, what was that? And then he makes it. And then sometimes you go, What are you doing? And he turns it over and he misses a shot. So their point guard play is a little interesting to me. Kentucky. What I like about them is they got arguably the national player of the year in Oscar Shebway. Guys, just, he's had such a good year inside for them. And I love their balance inside and out. Ty Ty Washington's a stud, which, you know, it's unfortunate. He, at once upon a time, he was, I mean, this time last year, he was committed and coming to Creighton. And then he ultimately decommits, and now he's at Kentucky, and he's going to be a first-round draft pick. And I remember the coaches, basically. I remember I talked to one coach when I asked about Ty-Ty Washington. I said, is he good? He goes, I think if he comes here and plays multiple years, so he could be, like, one of the best players to ever play at Creighton. I was like, okay, that's pretty good. And you watch him, and you see why. But I really like their blend. Uh, the blend of their roster is good with youth, with good, talented players like Ty-Ty Washington, with some older guys like Shibwe, uh, like Wheeler, You know, like uh, Kellen Grady is another guy that's played a lot of basketball as a senior. They got the former Blue Jay, Davion Mintz. Yeah, remember Davion Mintz? He's still playing. Got a a, a six-year. He plays well for them. He's solid. Tell you what, I look at, you know, I wrote down for concerns, they don't have a glaring one. So you would think I would, you would think I would say like, oh, you think they're the best team? Like, I don't know about that. But I guess on paper, I don't know if they have a glaring weakness. I mean, maybe being led by a freshman in Ty Ty Washington at the point guard spot, like when you get into March, who knows, right? But I don't know. They don't have a glaring one to me. Purdue. What you like about it, they're the number one offensive efficiency team in the country, and it's just like they're incredible on offense. They present... Like most good, most good teams are lucky to present one predicament for you. Like you got to figure out what you're doing with Steph Curry. You got to figure out what you're doing with Doug McDermott. Like think of all the problems you have on your plate with Purdue if you're trying to guard him. What are you doing with their two big guys inside? Zach Eady, who's seven foot four, and then Travion Williams, six ten, best passing big man in the country. Okay, after you solve that, what are you doing with Jaden Ivey, who's a lottery pick, top – I think he could be a top five pick in the NBA draft. Every time I watch him play, I am blown away by him. He has – I got to make sure I'm careful when I say this. He has, like, Ja Morant-level explosiveness. Like, I'm not sure. I'm really racking my brain. He had four in-traffic dunks against Michigan in the game I called on Saturday, and, like – I don't know if I've seen a more explosive wing in my time of, of covering college basketball than, than Jaden Ivey. Oh, by the way, he can shoot, and he's a great scorer. Hit the game winner against Ohio State. And then sprinkled in with all that, they have seven 40% three-point shooters. So you sell out to stop Ivey, 40% shooters everywhere. You sell out to take away the bigs, 40% shooters everywhere. It's like fucking good luck with that. Good luck guarding that then the so obviously there's a lot to like then with everything i just laid out there the concern is defensively they leave a lot to be desired they rank 106th in the country in defensive efficiency which that now history would tell you that all but eliminates you from the final four history would suggest if if you're not inside the top 25 or top at least top 50 of defensive efficiency good luck they're not even they're they're 106 right now. Like, excuse me, I gave them two, they're 108. So I I I helped them. So defensively, a lot to be desired. And then I Eric Hunter Jr. and Isaiah Thompson, like I like them both as their point guards. They're both good players. They're both not great players. They're they're average solid point guards. So there's a lot to like, but there are concerns. Last two teams that will be done. Baylor, uh, what I like about them is their experience. They do have guys that are still leftovers. Flagler, Mayer from a year ago that were on the team that won the whole damn thing. Uh, and then, I, So you got to like the experience. they got that pedigree working for them. And then I think their defensive upside is still maybe the highest of any team in college basketball. Listen, I know they got their ass kicked at Kansas. That happens to a lot of teams at Allen Fieldhouse. They're really banged up right now, and I think they're going through a little bit of a swoon. But if they can get healthy, get Cryer back feeling good, you know, get Flagler back feeling good, like their defensive upside is maybe the highest in the country. My concern is do they have a star? I think they got a lot of good players. Do they have a great player? I don't know. And then with UCLA, uh, what I like, first of all, experience. Final four run, incredible experience coming out of the first four to the final four last year, and they return everybody. They also have two elite shot creator, shot maker scorers in Johnny Juzang and Jaime Haquez. Like those two guys, just really, really good creators and scorers. My concern when I watched them play is they kind of live on – Juzang and Hakez making like tough contested twos. Can can you live on isolation tough contested twos from Juzang and Hakez? It's hard to do. Now it, it got into the final four last year. It's hard to do though. Then the other concern is they're not great inside. They're they get out rebounded at times. They're 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 just they're just Okay in in the interior. Cody Riley's okay. Like, uh, I thought Miles Johnson would help them more. They're just okay inside. So there you go. They're are the top ten teams in college basketball. What I like, what concerns me about each of them. Again, we're under five weeks away from selection Sunday, baby. We're gonna it's gonna be here before you know it. All right, that'll do it for the podcast. Appreciate everybody tuning in. Make sure you give a five-star rating and review. Make sure you, you, you click that subscribe button. It helps me out. I appreciate all the support, all the love. We'll catch you next time. Bye-bye. A Huda Media Production.